Hello, friends, and welcome to Azizi Podcast. I have a small favor to ask from you all. Please subscribe to my podcast on the app that you're currently using to listen to it. It will greatly help me out, and it will make it convenient for you to listen to my new episodes every time they come out. Also, I have a YouTube channel. Just search for Azizi Podcast on YouTube, and you will be able to see my conversations in a video format. Also, don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel. Anyways, thanks so much for listening. I so greatly appreciate it. My next guest is Ryan Scalia. Ryan is a boxing scout, and he is the host of the Great Fight North Boxing Podcast. Enjoy the show, everybody. We are live. Ryan Scalia. I call you Scalia, but people call you Scalia. And yeah, that's that's how it is. But what about Justice Scalia? They call him Scalia, not Scalia. What's the what's the difference there? Well, they're pronouncing it wrong. That's the difference. All this time, they were pronouncing his name yeah. wrong. So it's Scalia. Yeah. Yeah. Is it so? It kind of sounds Italian, but you're not Italian, right? You're. Uh... Well, it is. It is Italian. Oh, it is Italian. Okay. So you are. You have some Italian ancestry in you. Yeah. So. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> All right, man. So that's a little start for our podcast. You are actually, you are on this podcast for the second time. So in my English speaking uh, podcast life, you are the first guy who who actually decided to come back to the podcast. So I really appreciate that. And and now we have a different format. Now we're talking in Zoom uh, over the Zoom call and all of that. So, but you also were the first ever. English-speaking guest. Well, actually, Tom Loeffler was the first ever English-speaking guest, but you were the first ever English-speaking guest who I also recorded on film. So you are still a very special, special uh, guest to me. And the fact that you're returning, it's actually exciting because now we can actually do like a little deep dive in what you do and what are your thoughts on uh, what's happening. And uh, basically, you know, I just want to talk about you and your processes. So how are you doing, sir? Good, man. Yeah, this is going to be a lot better than the first one because, you know, I'm not coming off an all-nighter, so I can actually uh, think straight and <laughs> uh, not falling asleep. You yeah, know, you've, good. Yeah. Uh, you've mentioned that several yeah. times that, that you were falling asleep and you were like pretty much, uh, you know, falling, sleeping while you were recording, while we were recording that podcast. So was that, was that really true? Like where you really cannot, <laughs> cannot handle it? Do you even remember what we talked about? <laughs> yeah, I do, but... It wasn't as good as it should have been. <laughs> All right. Well, let that let's set this record straight. So I, I actually wanted to preface that with the fact that you are very well known within the boxing community for your scout for your scouting knowledge, scouting knowledge, and also for the knowledge of the amateur boxing. Uh, people across the world, especially in the United States and the UK, uh, use you as their consultant for the references in terms of you know certain prospects. Uh, can you talk to me about how you actually? Like, what are you, how, how does your process of scouting works and what are you, um, what are you working on right now and how do you handle the situation usually on a day-to-day basis when you need to, like, do your research? Well, I guess I'll kind of bring it back to how, I guess, it started in uh, that regard, basically running up to the uh, 2016 Olympics that was when I kind of got heavily into that regard because I was gambling on the fights and I uh, did very well on that. And mm-hmm. 
you know, back then, back then I was just thinking like, you know, this is uh, what I want to do. And I said to myself that in uh, 2020, I'd be going to the Olympics for scouting. <laughs> Obviously now mm-hmm. it's 2021, but I, you know, still uh, pretty confident that'll happen. But yeah, basically you look at the amateurs and you know, it's the same concept as, uh, you know, like other sports leagues like NFL, MLB, soccer, NHL, they all have scouts. Boxing doesn't really have it in that regard. I think, you know, there's very there's very few people that kind of specialize in that aspect, you know, of uh, boxing. And I kind of wanted to carve out my own uh, niche. And, you know, that's what I'm in the process of doing because I think you always want to in any aspect of whatever your work is I think you want to separate yourself from the pack and distinguish yourself and have a specific skill set that other people don't have so over the years that's what I've been developing uh, basically um, just accumulating knowledge Um, you know people might like you know think sitting around and watching fights is just you know uh entertainment or something but no mm-hmm. i i do it to study i do it to improve my own skills i do it to improve my ability to evaluate what i'm seeing and you know apply that in a in a practical manner so like i'll go back and like watch fights of like current champions or older champions from the past and I watch fights from when they're like 14, 15, 16 years old. And uh, it gives me context because then I can use that and say, well, this is what a future champion looks like at 15 years old. You know, this is, it allows me to contextualize what I'm seeing in the present when I look at present, you know, uh, teenage prospects, I guess. And I always go back and, uh, evaluate what i'm seeing that's the main thing is evaluation because it's one thing to know like what's going on in uh, the amateurs and the pro scene but the ability to evaluate it mm-hmm. is uh, you know, a completely different thing and that's that's how you get to the next level of that stuff because the reality is you know uh it's few and far between fighters that actually pan out you know if you look at you know who gets signed who the top amateurs were it's only a smaller percentage of them that actually found out so mm-hmm. i have to i have to be able to pinpoint who's in that smaller percentage and uh you know identify identify the top talent who can make it in the pros so basically in like 2017 i think i had people start uh approaching me about this kind of stuff and then it went from there and I was working on some big things uh, this year in terms of uh, you know joining bigger companies right. or whatever and then the coronavirus hit kind of stalled everything mm-hmm. so now I'm kind of in a holding pattern but basically my goals are obviously that kind of scouting thing and then my other goal is just to build boxing in Canada because I know the potential that's here. I know the talent that's here. We just need to build that infrastructure 
that allows the talent to develop properly. And that's what, what I want to do. And I think I have the ability to do it. It's just a matter of aligning with the right people mm-hmm. and uh, bringing, you know, the right entities into Canada, basically. And that's what, you know, I've been in the process of doing. Obviously, we'll see how it plays out after, uh, you know, this whole pandemic right. is over. So, so let's let's go back to the scouting thing. You've mentioned that you'd like to, like, to occupy, occupy a special niche in terms of scouting. What do you think the current scouts are not doing something that you actually get frustrated about, you know, because you have other scouts that are helping out the promoters and helping out the managers. But, like, what exactly is you know, the main thing that distinguishes you from other scoutings, from other scouts, um, where do you see the main problem with, with the rest of the scouting community is? Well, I don't think there's that many scouts in general. I mean, obviously, any, any manager who goes and signs a fighter from the amateurs, you know, for a certain promoter is basically a scout. But in terms of, like, people who actually... Uh, specialize in this i don't think it's that many and honestly like i'm not big up in myself but based mm-hmm. on like the probably thousands and thousands of hours that i've put into this i think i i uh know this field as well as anybody and mm-hmm. uh i think you know all, all the knowledge i've accumulated in this regard is second to none mm-hmm. and because i know i know how much time i put into this and I know how good my memory is in, in these type of aspects. I know that every single day I'm constantly learning, constantly sharpening uh, right. my my skills. So I think in that regard. Um, but one thing I think people place too much emphasis on, like how well someone did in the amateurs. You know, obviously, you know the cream of the crop are usually top amateurs. But I think people just look at someone's amateur resume and think oh this guy be a good mm-hmm. pro but it's a lot deeper than that you actually you actually have to you know study in depth in terms of the fights and then you got to figure out what they're doing outside of the fights you mm-hmm. know it's it's not as simple as oh you know he's a good amateur be a good pro it's really not that simple and i think you know time after time you see a lot of these top amateur prospects flame out in the pros they become busts and they don't really pan out mm-hmm. what people were thinking so i think that's that's part of it i think another thing is like unrealistic expectations it's like i said only a small percentage actually make it mm-hmm. so i think people a lot of people come into it expecting that you know every every fighter the sign is going to make it or you know sign like 10 of them and like eight of them are going to make it you know it's right. a lot it's a lot less than that generally and this is from like the people at top rank if you can hit like 30 percent that's in terms of you know the fighters you took from the amateurs of 30 percent of them can become you know world champions then mm-hmm. that's uh that's a pretty good percentage and in addition to that like as, as a manager you don't really make your money just becoming world champion you make your money as far as the return on the investment that you put into the fighter mm-hmm. you make your money back on the defenses and then unifications mm-hmm. and big fights you know not just uh winning the title right so co- going to the top uh, getting to the top is one thing staying at the top yeah. this is where this is where the money is yeah d- definitely and 
like it's it's a it's a business you know Mm -hmm. like any other type of thing you know you put a a certain amount of investment in whether that's time or money or both Mm -hmm. and you know the reason people do this i mean i i don't even do it for money you know i would i would do it anyway but obviously i wouldn't say that out loud (laughs) you'll 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 draw attention of a lot of free free loaders (laughs) yeah but i mean you have to have the passion for it and that's of course yeah that's the main thing um but obviously making a living is important so that's one thing but you know i think the passion is the most important thing and uh, if you commit to something and you go all in on it and you work hard then you know you should uh reap the benefits anyway right absolutely listen for uh, 2016 Olympics, a lot of uh, people in professional boxing in terms of like a lot of people who gamble and bet, you know, they all praise you because apparently you've hit some incredible record in terms of like getting everything right in terms of who's going to win and, and all the bets. Can you talk a little bit about that? And you actually ma- mentioned that as well, that you've been, you know, making some money during the Olympics as well, basically on betting. Can you talk about how you were uh, preparing, you know, how what kind of research you've done and uh, were you also surprised that how how right you are or you were just confident in your statistics like tell me about that period of time well I, I was just confident i don't really do statistics or anything i don't i don't write anything down i don't take notes mm-hmm. i just memorize everything in my head i don't really uh do notes and and stuff like that but i was mm-hmm. just confident based on what i'd seen you know over the years leading up to that mm-hmm. and uh, i the, the main thing is like I knew this stuff better than the odds makers. So that's mm-hmm. why I was mm-hmm. able to do well. And, you know, uh, me and Fight Ghost, uh, that's, you know, my, my that's main what guy. I, yeah, that's who I meant. He, yeah. he was praising you, like a very popular personality on Twitter. It's funny. It sounds like you're some sort of a, a rain man. You know, you have, you have this whole thing in your head figured out, you know, m- maybe like it's like a photographic memory or something like that. Uh, what exactly are you memorizing? What kind of information do you use? Uh, when you are, for example, betting on a boxer, give us some examples. I don't want to. I don't want you to give up your secrets or anything like that. But just, just for example, what kind of, what kind of main metrics or what kind of main factors are you kind of like prioritize when you think about a boxer? Well, I don't think there are any secrets. You know, I it just memorize. You know, the fights they've been in, the results. You know, try to do your due diligence on what's happening outside the ring. Mm-hmm. And again, it all comes down to, you know, me trying to constantly improve my ability to evaluate what I'm seeing. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's what it comes down to, and the ability to read a fight. And uh, oftentimes, you run into fights where the odds makers really don't know that much about one of the fighters, mm-hmm. and or both of the fighters, and so they'll put a bad line, and you got to capitalize mm-hmm. on that. So you've mentioned that, you know, there, there is a cream of the crop, right? If you're in the amateurs and they're usually, you know, the ones that are being prioritized in terms of like drawing the attention from the managers and promoters. But you also mentioned it's not necessarily the, you know, the way to go. You know, there's other possibilities. You don't have to like look at the, you don't have to like only rely on the cream of the crops. There are other, there are other boxers that are equally as good. It kind of reminded me of this movie called Moneyball, um, 
yeah. you know, based on the book with Brad Pitt and baseball team. And, and you've mentioned you don't look at stats or anything like that. But basically, the whole premise is that they use not the best players in the league with like the best, you know, you know, the superstars, but they created a super team based on the actual, you know, statistical advantages that they, they calculated. Now, I know you told me that you're not really looking at numbers or anything like that, but do you feel like some of that can apply at least in, in, in spirit to what you are uh, talking about in terms of like, you know, yeah, there are champions like in, in the amateurs, but there are other very talented boxers. Yeah, I mean, I think you can identify patterns. Um, that's some of what I do. I mean, you look through the years and you look at all the champions and you try to go back into their amateur careers and into their early pro careers on the way up and you try to identify what they did, basically. Um, you try to go through the records, see you know, who they fought, what their accomplishments were. Obviously, that's just on paper, but it gives you, gives you a decent idea of what they're capable of. And then you have to go deeper than that. You know, mm-hmm. you try to you try to see something on paper, and then you see something on paper that looks interesting. Like, oh, this guy won this. He had a bunch of stoppages, so it looks like maybe you know he can punch. So mm-hmm. let's go check. Let's go check him out and see what he's about. But you always, I think, you always have to go deeper than just you know the statistics and mm-hmm. what's on paper. Because at the end of the day, it comes down to talent. Mm-hmm. A lot of it comes down to talent and work ethic, and you know you can't really determine that by looking at stats too much. You have to go witness it for yourself. You know, it's it sounds like at the beginning you look at the opposition first, which which makes sense. You know, you box wreck the guy, you see who he fought, and you see who his opponent fought before to sort of like trace, like you know, and you just by that by and using your own experience, you can see for example, the, the strengths and weaknesses of certain opponents. And you can, and you sort of can, I guess, you know, I guess predict or, or guess how the boxer that you're interested in handled those strengths and weaknesses of their op- opponent. And that's kind of the first thing you do. But, uh, you know, and, and as you mentioned, that's not enough. And so the question to you is, is the footage important? Because you, I know that you know a lot of boxers in Eastern Europe and Central Asia, but it, there's not a lot of footage on them uh if they're if they're fighting on the amateurs because ba- mainly those things are not being televised in that uh in that area and uh so information is not available is that a problem for you and how do you handle it well there is a lot of footage you just have to know where to look for it i okay. mean it's gotten to it's gotten to the point where like i've seen so much stuff in russian and looked up so much stuff in russian mm-hmm. that i can kind of start reading the cyrillic alphabet and uh <laughs> Like I can start at seeing certain words and right. stuff like that. It's but because I know I know where to look. I know how to look for these things. I mean, like almost every amateur tournament in Russia is broadcast mm-hmm. uh, online, mm-hmm. and uh, you know lots of tournaments in Kazakhstan, also. Mm-hmm. You know, and most tournaments in Ukraine are broadcast online. So there's a. Okay. Uh, then I guess the problem is is that the English speakers, for example, are, I guess they're not posting that on YouTube and they don't put the English words in that in terms of the title. Here's the amateur championship, blah, blah, blah. You have right. to sort of, that's why you have to like use a little trick to like to understand where to look for. Okay, I, I guess that's, that, that, that makes sense. That's fair. And so, so then 
the footage is, is the part that you looked at it as well, right? Is, is the part of the whole process for yourself? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the bread and butter, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like it's like in the pros. You can see a guy who's 20 and 0, but he's fought 20 stiffs, mm-hmm. you know? So you can't just look at a record and information. You know, you have to... You have to go deeper, and I've even, I've even done like this stuff in like Chinese, and a uh, few few other languages. You know, looking looking mm-hmm. up stuff like this. Mm-hmm. You know, world worldwide, but definitely the, you know, former Soviet Union areas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've definitely looked at that a lot, but the reality is I can't really do much with, you know, those kind of guys because I, I don't speak Russian, mm-hmm. and, you know, the people people I'm dealing with, you know, they're more, more interested in like North American, mm-hmm. you know, North American market kind of stuff. Cause but, but it's funny that you're, 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 you're kind of famous for knowing Eastern Europeans and Central, Central Asians so much. Uh, I don't know, but the reality <laughs> is like all those, all those fighters from that part of the world, I mean, they already have pipelines to the big show, you know, they have like Agus Klimas and, you know, world of boxing with, Andre Rubinsky and Vadim Kornilov and that kind of route. So they already have, you know, pipelines to mm-hmm. the, the pros mm-hmm. and, you know, some, some of the bigger companies, you know, they have, they have, you know, contacts, you know, mm-hmm. that speak Russian and all that, that can handle these things for them. So that's kind of a different area for me that I can't, I just can't really do anything in, uh, in that regard, you know, if someone wants my advice on that area of the world, I definitely give it before. You know, I have a few people that ask me about that stuff, a few, you know, top managers and that. Mm-hmm. But as far as me, myself, like, I can't really, I can't really do anything with, like, a Russian, you know. I can't bring a Russian over to Canada mm-hmm. or anything like that. So that, it kind of goes uh, to the point where you don't want just to provide information right you also want to help out and propose more value in terms of what can you do for a boxer rather than just identify a good boxer you want to continue working with boxer would that be a well, yeah and i think yeah i think the main aspect of that is i want to like i said i want to build canadian boxing so i want to work mm-hmm. with canadian fighters mm-hmm. and uh it's just a matter of you know producing the right scenario you know i've been like i said i was working on that and then coronavirus kind of hit and stalled that but i think because we don't have the infrastructure here to really produce a lot of talent you know mm-hmm. outside of quebec and ontario to a degree but even out outside of all those fighters that are with the main promoters there's there's a lot of untapped talent there's a lot of untapped potential that mm-hmm. you know I, I can see these things and I just think if there was a better infrastructure to build these fighters, mm-hmm. then you know I could really do something. I, I want to create that infrastructure, and, and so I think it's like kind of kind of drawing a blank here. But uh, so let's let's talk about Canada then. Actually, because I'm in Canada as well, and I'm actually all for building a boxing here uh, in Canada, and. Uh, what would like let's let's think about it let's say like me and you got together and like yo like we need to build we need to make sure that canada is really on the map we need to make sure that there are some really great stars coming out of canada um and i would ask you like what would you do 
uh, Ryan. So I, I'm sure in your minds you thought about this for a long time, and and uh, you have some thoughts about it. And what would be the kind of the first thing? Like, wh- where do you th- where do you see the kind of the pains that needs to be fixed, or something that you that you see and you 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 could have done differently in terms of maybe the the the, the promotion scene, the the venue scene, that maybe maybe it's about the fighter that himself or herself. Or it's it's about the fans, you know, meaning like maybe like the certain towns are not getting as much exposure. What what do you think about? Well, I think one of the main things is you have to bring one of the main powerhouses in boxing into the market. Like and what? Like for example, which one would you which which one do you think would be a great powerhouse here? Like Matchroom because they have the zone, and okay. obviously. You know, they've been working on their international expansion with Italy and Spain, and obviously Canada mm-hmm. was uh, in the schedule. Um, but, you know, now it's probably postponed by at least a year. You know, the few times I've asked Eddie Hearn about Canada, you know, he just said there's nothing concrete yet for mm-hmm. uh, Canada. So it's kind of up in the air. But I think in so order you've been, to go you've to been, the so next level... So you've, you've been talking to Eddie Hearn about Canada already? Yeah. You know, so, just... Just a little bit, but in of terms of like to go to go to the next level, especially outside Quebec, which is re- really where it needs to go to the next level, mm-hmm. um, you have to have a major platform, and that's Matchroom and DAZN that have mm-hmm. the money and the ability to put on bigger shows and generate more interest. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, then you have to start building building the talent from there. Right. You know, is when. Uh, Inevitably, when we speak big game in boxing, we're talking about America. And yes, we can do it in Canada and we can build shows in Canada and we can broadcast in Canada. But when you're mentioning Quebec, and uh, Quebec is a great uh, province and uh, I've been to Montreal and I really loved it. I was uh, at the Bell Center for the show. It was amazing. The great experience, the best experience. Uh, there is a language, though. However, you know they're speaking French Canadian, and uh, do you see that as a barrier to kind of penetrate the American market using the Canadian, like Canadian uh, fighters and Canadian venues and Canadian broadcast? I mean, it's it's a barrier within Canada. You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of the reason why uh, boxing isn't bigger in Canada because it's kind of like I guess locked away. You know, in in Quebec, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I mean, because the French language media doesn't reach the rest of the country, basically. Yeah. Um, obviously, like, I'm a hardcore boxing guy, so I obviously know uh, what's going on and what's happening and all that. But even, like, even most boxing fans outside Quebec, they don't really know what's going on in Quebec, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, that's one of the reasons I started, you know, the Great Fight North podcast was just kind of, condense all Canadian boxing news and stuff in, into one thing so people can kind of know mm-hmm. what's going on. But I do, I do think it's, it's a barrier, you know. And when uh, in the past when American TV like HBO and Showtime would go up to Montreal for fights, you know, that, that's viable. It's not, it's not a problem then. So there is a precedent. Still, yeah, but still the same. The thing is like even when HBO and Showtime went up to Montreal to do those fights. Like they would be on HBO and Showtime in the US, but in Canada, the Quebec promoter would put them on pay-per-view. So, and mm-hmm. half the time the pay-per-views, there'd be no English language feed. Mm-hmm. So you're basically 
enabling that most of the population has no idea this is even happening mm -hmm. and then you have to pay seventy dollars for it so it's not it's not really a way to create new fans you mm -hmm. know? what do you think should be done then like you, you so you, because again you've mentioned like it should be worked in quebec i mean how do we make sure how do we how will we make sure that what's happening in Quebec does not stay in Quebec, that it goes outside of the province to, uh, to the rest of Canada and to the United States in terms of information, spread of information. No. Is, that, is that a media question? Is that a question of getting the, uh, getting the exposure for the journalists uh, that, can, uh, that can cover those events? Kind of, but I think it's a matter of the fighters winning the big fights. You know, they have to produce the kind of talent that can go to the U.S. and win. Mm -hmm. you know and then and then build from there you know right now you know aside from jean pascal who's kind of an independent fighter you know obviously fights in pvc but as far as like promotionally he's pretty much independent um you know aside from him there's not really any fighters right now that from quebec that are going to the u.s mm -hmm. and winning the big fights you know on on the big stage there's fighters that are being built to that mm -hmm. but as far as you know world champions not really and i think that's the main thing we have to create the infrastructure in order to build talent that can go to the u.s and and win and i think there's no problem with the talent it's more so the system and mm -hmm. so we have to revamp the system and create the right infrastructure so that the fighters can develop properly And that's that's the main thing that I think has been has been lacking, you know, especially outside outside Quebec and then in like in like the West there there's not really much of a system to really develop professional talent. There's very few and far between. You know, mm -hmm. we have some decent pockets, you know, in Atl Atlantic Canada and then the West, but there's not really a structure and I think It has to be built from so, you know that point. So do you do you mean like maybe club shows, right? So we want we want our prospects to fight five uh, five times a year, for example, uh, like they do in California. Uh, there's no there's not a lot of step up fights. Maybe there's not a lot of you know kind of uh, a step by step improvement of the fighter, making sure that the fighter is ready. Is that the sort of infrastructure that you're talking about? Just that that availability of of the opponent and the venue, uh, all of that come together five times a year, not on a larger scale, but more of on the scale of a club show. Yeah, definitely. I mean, well, it all starts from the amateurs, and obviously, you know, we just talked about that in depth on uh, the last episode, Great Fight North, with Russ Amber and Stevie Bailey. Mm -hmm. But yeah, as far as the pro scene, the thing about the pro scene is it comes down to investing money. And look, I understand people don't want to lose money. You know, it's it's very expensive to mm -hmm. to promote a show and especially promote multiple shows and try to get fighters, you know, five, six, seven fights a year on the way up. And it's the problem is it's it's not really viable, you know, in it for most for most of these promoters. So that's mm -hmm. kind of why we need someone bigger to come in, someone that's willing to invest the money. Or But someone in general, like I see like Alliance Boxing Promotions and BC just started up over there. They're doing, they're doing the right thing. You know, they're trying to build the scene over there. They're mm -hmm. putting on consistent shows. 
in a way mm-hmm. that hasn't been done over in Vancouver, BC mm-hmm. in years. So that's, that's the right idea. And I think that's what, you know, needs to be done. And then if you, if you have lo- a local pro circuit, then it gives an outlet for a lot of these amateurs to fight. Because the reality is a lot of these amateurs from places, even in Quebec and Ontario, like they wind up in their mid to late 20s and it's like they have nowhere to go. And they've been toiling around in the amateurs for years and all of a sudden like half their prime is gone and mm-hmm. they don't really have you know anywhere to go and they don't have a promoter so they end up with like a 500 record because they have to take a bunch of fights on the b side you mm-hmm. know and it's kind of kind of how it works but there's you can buy uh, to, to name a few who are, uh, I would say, legionnaires, right? Uh, the guys who were uh, brought uh, to Quebec outside of Canada uh, from Russia, Kazakhstan. There are other fighters as well fighting out, out, out of Quebec uh, from Uzbekistan and, and I would say Armenia as well. What do you think about that step in terms of, you know, it sort of sounds like cutting the corner, right, and getting the fighters that are already, you know, it's a step up from the amateurs. So they're now they're developing those fighters here in Quebec and they're sort of, I wouldn't say they are fighting under the Canadian flag, but they are definitely presented as the Quebecois, I would say. What do you think about that formula? And is, is, does the Canadian um, fan from Quebec, does he or she associate themselves with fighters like that? And is this the right approach? Well, the main problem is like they don't sell. You know, uh, when when Lucien Boutet came to Canada, he learned French. So that's, you know, one of the main reasons why he became a star and was able to fill the, the Bell Center, even though he was from Romania. Mm-hmm. So, but Mahmoudov, you know, he's a heavyweight. So it's kind of a different conundrum there. And right. he speaks English now, which, you know, is good enough. You know, he's a big, bad heavyweight. He knocks people out. Um, the reality is, if Montreal all of a sudden gets a heavyweight champion, it's going to be a big deal, you know. But as far as, you know, the other guys like Sadrudin and Batir, it's it's tough because, you know, you're investing all this money building their careers and they're going to end up going to fight and you're going to end up sending them to the States, you know, to fight the big fights probably. But at the end of the day, they don't really draw in their home base in Montreal. So it's kind of a difficult conundrum. And, and then, like I said before about the 30% thing, you know, that applies to fighters from everywhere. You know, if you can get 30% to pan out, you've done a pretty good job. So mm-hmm. some of these guys aren't going to pan out, you know, this just the way it is. You know, I think uh, Sadrudin and Mahmoudov are the two best imports. Mm-hmm. and uh, those are the guys with the best chance you know the other guys they're they're solid fighters but if if you don't draw then it's hard to uh set yourself up in a favorable position to win the big fights mm-hmm. you know you're probably gonna have to go to the u.s and fight as the b-side you know against a good champion and then you know if you lose that world title fight then you're kind of back to square one and you still don't draw so it's it's a difficult conundrum. So we see, um, so there's a promotional company out of uh, Montreal, right? I have the Tiger, and I've seen in the news that they've been uh, partnered with Golden Boy uh, Promotions. Um, 
Can you talk about what, what, what's your opinion about that partnership? And do you know any details about that? Uh, cause honestly, maybe I just didn't read about that, but enough, but you know, maybe there's something there. Maybe there's some, some sort of a light for developing some sort of an infrastructure where American and Canadian market can, can coexist and, and actually benefit each other. Well, either Tiger and Golden will have a good working relationship from David LeBeau and I think I Tiger has five fighters with them now. So they get along well. And, you know, the main thing is uh, Golden Boy guarantees them at least one fight a year at home, which mm -hmm. is obviously good for uh, Tiger. And it just comes down to their working relationship. You know, I mm -hmm. think the main part where Golden Boy lacks is media, PR. They're really, you know, slacking in that mm -hmm. department in terms of, you know, getting publicity, promotion, and attention for their fighters. So that's mm -hmm. the difficult part because when some of these guys, like, go fight on a Thursday night Facebook show in mm -hmm. the U.S., like, barely anyone's watching, you know, and that's the main downside compared to, like, you know, uh, a PVC or a top rank. They really have a lot more exposure and uh, promotion than Goldwater. We've spoke, we so speak a lot about, you know, so right now we're speaking about Quebec and that part of town, but we never, uh, so we're not talking about the English speaking like uh, uh, provinces here, right? So right now I'm in Toronto, I'm in Ontario, you know, we, we've have fight, we have fighters here, we have trainers here, promo promotions here as well. What's, what's next for them? What do you think the best way for them to exist in terms of the future? If, uh, let's say Matchroom or Toprang or whoever will, will come to Canadian market. And as you say, let's say they will bypass English-speaking English uh, provinces and they will go straight to Quebec. Uh, what about us? What about, you know, what about local promotions? What about local shows? Can they somehow benefit from it? What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I don't think, you know, that the major players would just bypass, you know, uh, Toronto for, for Quebec. Is just a matter of you know some of those especially in toronto you know one one of those local promoters has to maybe secure a partnership mm -hmm. with you know for example a matchroom when they come into the market because matchroom is going to need local fighters to put on the show so probably have to align with uh, a local promoter and mm -hmm. uh you know that's one thing one thing i've thought about a lot one thing you know that i've kind of pitched uh before you know, to another another company. But yeah, that's that's what it's gonna take really. Um because especially with this pandemic now, you know, everyone's losing money. So mm -hmm. it's gonna be really difficult to uh restart for all the the local promoters, you know, that are that aren't like huge businessmen, huge wealthy businessmen, you know, with tons of money to invest. Because in terms of those kind of people that are putting money into boxing in Canada, there's very few. It's basically only I, the Tiger, mm -hmm. that uh, you know can really afford to dump you know tons of money in mm -hmm. investments into building the product. Mm -hmm. You are slowly transitioning into a management role. You know that's something that you've been talking to me about in my previous podcast with you. Um, Tell me about your style. What would you suggest? What would be the priorities that you would outline for a fighter? And uh, I just want to, I, I just want to see you as a manager, for example, and and understand. Okay, like what what will be your style 
you know, obviously I just spoke with Jesse Casares yesterday. He's a manager out of Los Angeles, uh, has his uh, management company and he, he's been talking about a lot, socializing and meeting people and, and, uh, you know, making those partnerships. How do you see your management style in the future? I mean, we can only predict, but still, I'm sure you've been thinking about it. Yeah. Well, obviously the fighters, the most important thing you got to do, whatever it takes for the fighter you I'm I'm definitely more conservative when it comes to moving a fighter you know if the fighter's not ready he's not ready you got to keep building obviously I know the longer you build the more money it costs but if you believe in the fighter then you know eventually you're going to see the potential fulfilled you know mm-hmm. no matter no matter you know how long you spend or how much money you put in how much mm-hmm. time and money you put in. If you believe in the fighter, then it should be worth it. You know, and I, I just think some a lot of fighters deserve the opportunity to actually, you know, have someone looking after them, giving them the right advice, getting them the right opportunities. Because I think in Canada, there's not many people that really do that or can do that. So mm-hmm. I think that's one thing. But definitely, you got to, the bottom line is you got to look out for the fighter's best interest and, Look, in terms of the other side of things, like you just mentioned, you know, I'm no marketing specialist or anything, but I would definitely look into outside avenues like, you know, Jay Chowdhury and uh, stuff like that to build mm. fighters profile as well as, my, as well as my own efforts to kind of do that stuff. And, you know, you got, you got to get into the local community and help build their profile too as well, not just on the digital side. You got to go local and uh, forge local relationships, local sponsorships, and get mm-hmm. it in the community. So I think that's uh, another you know aspect that I'm about. I mean, that's tough, right? When you're gonna try to go local, and I mean, we're trying to sort of scrap for boxing fans, especially for for a prospect, for example, right? And I mean, what do you think about? trying to put your word and i like that you're sort of getting that taking that grassroots approach and that you're saying digital is good but digital is not everything you actually have to forge relationships on a personal level um how challenging do you think that would that be and do you do you have like a strategy in mind do you feel like you can uh sort of utilize your personal relationships with local businesses or your video with local boxing people have you have you had any strategies in your mind about that and and or is it something that you will think as you go once you once you're gonna start managing and you will assess then? Well, I think you have to utilize your relationships and keep networking. And the more you network, you know, good things are gonna come about, opportunities are gonna pop up. So you have to kind of pounce on them. I think whether you know, maybe you go to a party and you meet some guy who has a local business and start talking and he says, Hey, I like boxing and you know, you know, something like that. Who knows? You know, something like that can, uh, can happen. But like I mentioned, Jay Chowdhury, I mean, you know, he's very good at what he does. You know, right, you can bring in guy. something like that. You can bring in something like that to assist you with uh, this kind of stuff. Because at the end of the day, it's only is benefiting you and the fighter to make those kind of moves. So let's put our marketing hat 
for a second, uh, since since we're talking about Jay Chowdhury, we had a really great conversation about the fact that you know that the boxers should be uh, should be giving that, providing that content not just for their fans, but also the networks should pick up a content that the fighter would provide, you know, such as the Zone or Fox or Showtime. What do you think in this pandemic time? You know, there's not much content, and you know we we're seeing all these old fights, which is which is great and 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 nice. But like, if if you would be if you would think about this, like, what what do you think is missing right now that that, that uh, networks like the Zone can implement on their on their net on their platforms to pro- to entertain us, to entertain the fights, the fight fans, to make sure that we don't unsubscribe from the platform, or is it just something that needs to be written off for the time of the pandemic? Well, I mean, the reality is people subscribe to the Zone for live events, so they're in a difficult spot. I mean, they can produce content, but most of the people are subscribed for live sports, right? Right. So kind of difficult for them, but as far as like fighters go, like you just got to stay relevant and keep your name, keep your name out there, you know, produce content, put yourself out there, use this time to, to build your fan base, get people more familiar with you. You know, I've seen a lot of great content from uh, fighters, you know, during this time. Yeah, uh, who's your favorite? From, uh, What's the best one in terms of content? Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, in terms of... A lot of people are using TikTok. Um, yeah. I think there's a you know female fighter from the UK with Matchroom, Shannon Courtney, and she made like a TikTok of herself side by side with... Uh, there was a clip of Tony Value kind of uh, telling his kids... Uh, that no, you can't have. I've seen can't that. Can't have and chocolate. You can have toast or whatever. And uh, <laughs> she made it. You saw it, right? I saw it. Yeah, it was funny. I loved it. Tony yeah, Bellew, exactly. man. Like, have you seen that video of Tony Bellew? Like, where he is, he is doing a lot of things on video, and it's so beautifully produced. I'm like, how is he doing this? But there's this cool video where he's in the car, and there's like four of his copies are also in the car, and they're all singing the song, something like that. Have you seen that? Yeah, Joseph Parker. Joseph Parker oh, is another jo- guy who did that. Yeah, Joseph He's Parker did that. Yeah, yeah. Joseph Parker was that. I'm sorry. But yeah, I mean, that was beautifully done. I mean, that was funny as hell. That was also true. Like, it's it's crazy. But um, yeah, I don't know, man. How are you handling the whole thing right now? Like, what's... Uh, I don't know. Do you do you use this time to sort of like, for example, I'm using this time to pump as much content as possible. I'm doing all this podcast, you know, and it's, and it's kind of cool because a lot of people are just kind of reaching out to me and suggesting like different people, Hey, like talk to this guy, talk to this, you know, person and all of that. So it's definitely a cool thing for me because everyone's sitting at home and, uh, they're, they're happy to be, uh, doing something, you know, they're happy to provide some content and to provide their time to, to, to do something. Right. Uh, so that's, that's kind of cool. Like, but what about you, man? How are you, how do you utilize your time right now? Yeah. I mean, I'm doing a lot of the same stuff I usually do just trying to keep improving. But now, like I even started reading books, which I wasn't doing before, you know, always trying to learn stuff. Right. Um, I should be practicing my languages. I haven't started doing it yet, you know. I have all day, every day to do it. So you do I speak Spanish. That that one I remember. Yeah, and a little bit of French. Uh-huh. I definitely need to start getting on my French, and then you know maybe if I can get better at that, I'll do Russian. <laughs> you should. So maybe then, maybe eventually, I can become a Russian guy. Who knows? 
Hey, but, uh, uh, just download that Duolingo app. It, it's really yeah. helpful. You really should try it out. It, I use it for French, and uh, obviously because I you know, speak Spanish, the French is very easy. Within like three months, I was speaking you know, decent French. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's a very useful tool, you know. And uh, learning multiple languages is very useful for uh, boxing as well. And lastly, finally, the Great Fight North podcast is now in video format. And uh, there was a, a CEO of Rival Boxing, and there was a, a, a coach, the great coach that was a guest of mine as well, Stevie Bailey, as your two first guests on your video podcasts. Uh, tell me about that. And, you know, it, it kind of took you guys a while. I mean, I was waiting for a video podcast for a long time, but like it's finally there and it turned out really great in terms of production and everything. Um, tell me about that. Was that difficult to, to manage? Yeah, I mean, we haven't been uh, producing a lot of content lately just because Jason is busy with work, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm happy that he has work because most people don't. Of course. So, so, that, so that's good. Um, finally got the first video out. Uh, hopefully we can get back to a more consistent schedule, you know, mm -hmm. in the upcoming weeks. But hey, if he has work, good for him. Yeah, absolutely. Know? All right. So it's just the time management thing. Cool, man. So uh yeah. I think that was that was it for me. But if you want to talk about something else, don't don't hesitate to bring this up. But yeah, I'm I'm just gonna, you know, talk. By the way, yesterday I've spoken with Serhi Bohochak, uh, and and I talked to you recently about that as well, and kind of took your little bit of your guidance to to talk to the guy. And, and we've talked we've talked for one hour thirty minutes basically, and that was such a great conversation. And so what I'm thinking right now. I'm going to break this conversation into like three or four parts and then I need to translate it in English because I want to make sure that my English speaking audience and, and just in general, they can, they can sort of grasp the same exact content. So I, I'm, I'm going to be working on that for the rest of the weekend and maybe the next weekend, but it's, it's definitely going to be a lot of work, but I just want to basically thank you, uh, for, you know, giving me some guidance and, you know, uh, basically advising me on some of the questions. So that was pretty cool. I definitely used that information. Um, but yeah, so I'm slowly getting into the, uh, I guess, interviewing fighters, which I, I really not, I was really not really, I don't know, particularly excited about because it's a different kind of gravy, like uh, our, our friend Eddie Hearn says. But yeah, thank you. Yeah, definitely. You know, if I can just go on, on a tangent here, I'll tell sure. you where... I'll tell everyone what I told you about Bohochuk. Is it? Sure, sure. Is that cool? Yeah. Yeah, so Bohochuk first caught my eye in the World Series of Boxing when he fought the Cuban Olympic gold medalist, uh, Ronel Iglesias. And obviously, World Series of Boxing, five-round fights. Obviously, no headgear and all that. It's kind of pro style. So basically, you know, the Cuban was way more skilled than him, but he just dragged him into a dogfight. And he ended up winning. And so that was really, that was really eye-opening. You know, it showed me that he's really a rugged, aggressive kind of guy with a lot of heart and balls. And, uh, you know, I kept my eye on him for uh, the pros. And obviously, he didn't make the Olympics. You know, uh, Ukraine chose another guy to go to mm -hmm. the first two Olympic qualifiers. And then they sent uh, Bohuchuk to, like, the, the final qualifier. And, uh, you know, he didn't really have a good performance. He fought an awkward guy. He lost. So mm -hmm. after that, uh, I just saw him pop up in California. And, uh, yeah, Tom Loffer's done a really good job. 
um, move in his career. You know, he kept him really active. And uh, t this year was supposed to be a big year for him. I think Bochuk is constantly improving and to fight over a 12 round distance, he's, uh, he's going to be a tough out. You know, I, I first called him the Ukrainian Margarito. Because right. uh, that's kind of it's kind of what the style is, you know. And Steve Kim and Dougie tough. Fisher actually mentioned that as well that you you've called him that during his first fight in Hollywood Fight Nights. I just rewatched it yesterday, and they talked about you calling that him <laughs> Ukrainian Margarito. Yeah, yeah. So he, you know, he's going to be a tough out for anyone. You know, he has a real suffocating style, and his skills have gotten better. He's uh, adapted to the pros pretty well. So I'm, you know, looking forward to seeing him back and looking forward to uh, seeing your interview with him. You know, uh, yes, and I'll, and I'll, it's going to be a challenge for me to make sure that everything is subtitled and I want to dub it in English as well when I ask questions, but, you know, I'll try to handle that. Uh, I spoke with Tom Loeffler about the World Boxing Series and he told me that there was some controversy in terms of BoxFrec and whether it's going to go on the record as a, pro, as a pro score. Do you know anything about that at all? Like, Yeah, I mean, it used to be like that because... Uh, Fight Facts used to be the official record keeper for the Association of Boxing Commissions. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically, Fight Facts considered those to be pro fights. So basically, you'd have guys uh, turning pro, and but the commission would say, oh, you already have these pro fights from World Series of Boxing. So your record is not zero and zero. Your record is, you know, uh, two wins, two losses in World mm -hmm. Series of Boxing. Mm -hmm. But nowadays, nowadays, that's gone because uh, BoxTrek is the only record keep, official record keeper of ABC. Right. So that's, that's not a problem anymore. But for, for a few years, it was kind of a problem. Like you used to see on uh, certain TV broadcasts, mm -hmm. they would list the fighters' fight facts record. So right. when Sergey Dervianchenko fought on ESPN one time, they listed his record as like 31-1. and one. Because, you know, he had, like, all those WSB fights. Right. So, yeah, but now not, not anymore. Now BoxRec is the only official record keeper of ABC. So that's not a problem anymore. So do you, what do you think about this? Is, was this justified to make it as a pro record? Or, or is it actually the, the justice has been restored by basically dropping the box facts statistics? No, I, I don't think it should be on the pro record because it's not fair to the fighters. Yeah, because they didn't you know, know going uh, into the fight, they didn't know that's going to be their pro record. Right. First of all, so that's right. Like, and the reality, the reality is, like those fights were under Aiba. They were under, you know, the, you know, International Amateur Boxing Association. Right. right. And they were wearing, they were wearing amateur gloves. Yeah. You know, they were using amateur referees, amateur judges, amateur exactly. rules, basically. So, mm -hmm. it's. Uh, it's not it's not fair to the fighters to list those as pro fights and then mm -hmm. have the record you know have the record be different because right. uh i mean there were there were a few fighters early on who had their pro careers probably negatively affected by that because you know they try to get signed and they say oh wow uh, starting my pro career and then someone would be like well oh, your pro record is actually this from what mm -hmm. series of boxing and Mm -hmm. you know but it, it it wasn't that big of a problem i mean you look at a lot of the olympians from 2012 and 2016 you know they all had wsp fights and most mm -hmm. of them just went to the pros without anyone caring so mm -hmm. i don't 
it's it's gone anyway you know wsp is done so right right i mean it's just that you know everyone's obsessed about the zero on their record and if you don't even have a chance to keep it when you're going into the pro right away with some couple losses in, you know when you're on your record that that kind of sucks so i can totally understand why you know for, for boxers it's still a big deal i mean it's just marketing at the end of the day in terms of the record but cool man hey that was a cool snippet i think i'm gonna cut it out and just put it as a separate video because you just provided us a cool piece of information in, in that regards and maybe it will help help a lot of a lot of people in boxing as well ryan thanks so much for coming on to my podcast i really appreciate it. anytime you know you have time and we can talk about it's almost as if i'm reading a book about boxing man so thank you so much yeah thanks i said it was going to be better than the last time it was a lot better yeah yeah definitely and uh the content and the lighting everything is super cool so but however i hope we're gonna do do a trilogy because you are here in canada so all you need to do is just come down here and once the whole, whole thing with the pandemic is over come over to my place we're gonna record it you know one more time we're gonna spoke we speak about current events and so on and so forth so the invitation is always open to you my friend definitely thanks for having me awesome thank you so much friend goodbye